Okay, we're going to start a new series today. I don't know if I've covered everything, but I'm going to go. I'm going to move forward here. Starting a new series, and we're uh, just looking at worship. Uh, I've been thinking about this, this topic. I mean, I always think about this topic. But, you know, as I've been really pondering, and I think through the, the, the seasons of life, and we've come through a, a crazy season of life, I think things tend to get a little skewed sometimes. Even in good seasons, they get skewed. They get just kind of out of sorts. And I, I read this story about uh, uh, Matt, Matt Redman. He wrote the song Heart of Worship. And it's just, it says that, you know, he was, he, he's a, a Christian singer. He writes songs. He's written some amazing worship songs. He actually wrote the song Heart of Worship. And it says that that song came out of a season and a time where he said at their church, somewhere over in, in England, uh, I believe it's in England, I know it's overseas, says that uh, uh, he just, the Lord was dealing with him, and he said, we're not going to have any music for a while. Says that he just said, no music, we're not doing any instrumentation, we're going to get together, and we're going to begin to learn to worship. It's like, now some people say, how can you do that without music? I'm sure that's what was going through some of their minds. Worship is not music. No, you use music to worship people. Musicians worship with their music. But the thing is, it says that he didn't do anything for a long time. And then when he entered, came back after whatever that season was, and he introduced uh, music back into their services, he just said that uh, people had a better grasp. And obviously, we're not going to do that. But the point is, is we worship God. It's not a song. It's not uh, a melody. It's a, it's a response, I guess. That's what I guess, what I've kind of come to the conclusion. It is a response. Because if, me, if, if worship was simply a song, there's a lot of folks that would say, well, I'm out. I'm left out because I don't play an instrument. I can't sing. But the truth is, it's a response to God. So let me just start here in Mark chapter 12. And I'm just going to kind of tell a little bit of the pre-story here. And then we're going to jump in after I get finish telling kind of the beginning of the story. Then we're going to jump in about verse 28. But let me start here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to tell it. Um, this is the place where Jesus is. comes to a place, and he's, uh, as, as usual, there's people everywhere. There's people all around. He begins to teach, and he tells a story. So he, he begins to tell them this story about a man that planted a vineyard. And it says that he built a wall around it. He dug a pit. Uh, where he could press the grapes out, and he built a lookout tower. He just built this, this vineyard, and then it says that he leased it out to other farmers, to other people. Uh, and it, it says that they, were, uh, they moved in, and they started uh, taking care of it for him. And then he would send back, after a while, he sends back one of his servants to go collect his part of the harvest. And so, uh, you know, the farmers that are there, now, let me just go through this quickly because I'm really not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it kind of builds the, the tension a little bit of what happened. Uh, and so the, the far, Jesus, this is a story he's telling, okay? Did this really happen? I don't know. Actually, the story comes from Luke, uh, not from Luke, from Isaiah. You can go back to Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah chapter 5 or 6, I think. Isaiah 5 is the same story. It's where Jesus is telling. So these guys knew this story. So it says that they come back and they, they say, hey, uh, we've come to collect for our master, and they say, we're not giving you any of this stuff. This is our stuff. And so they beat him, and they send him home empty-handed. So the, the master says, there must be a misunderstanding. So he sends another servant. And then they beat him, and they send him out empty-handed. So then he does this back and forth several times, many times, 
Uh, and then eventually they kill one or two of them. And, and then finally, this guy that owns the vineyard says, look, the only one I have left that I can send is my own son. Now, he's telling this story to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the people that are standing around. And as he tells the story, um, he tells it in such a way that they understand, first of all, he's talking about us. Because he says, what will that landowner do? Because it says he sends his son, his son goes, and they're looking at the son, and they're going, this is the heir. If we kill this guy, we can take it all because he'll have no one left. And so they take his son and they kill him, the, the landowner's son, the vineyard owner's son. They kill him and they throw his body out. And they're thinking, that's, that's all done. And then Jesus asks the question, what will this man do? Now, I've tried to find it in other translations to soften the blow a little bit. But you can't soften the blow because Jesus says he will surely send and kill these guys. Sorry, that's just what he says. I know I'm trying to find another translation that softens the blow. But he's, he's angry. And the Pharisees, so the Pharisees look at this and, they're, and they look at one another and they say, you know, he is talking about us. Verse 12, let me pick this up. And I don't think it's on your paper, but let me pick this up. It says, the chief priests and the teachers of the, religion, of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So he re they realize he's talking about them. Now, they go on from that point, And so then they begin to ask him questions, all kinds of questions. Uh, you know, the first question, and I'm not going to spend time on these, but I'm just kind of building so you see where this comes from. They ask him the first question. Well, Master, they're trying to trick him. Master, what is, the, what is your outlook? What is your feeling about paying taxes? Because, you know, they, they want a lot of taxes. And he says, well, give me a coin. And you know the story. He takes the coin. He says, well, whose image is on the coin? Well, Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. and Give to God what belongs to God. Got out of that one. They're just trying to trick him. And so then they, they go on, and, and then somebody else steps up, and they says, okay, okay. We used to do this when we were kids. We'd come up with situational stories. What would you do if? What would you do if you found yourself on a deserted island and there's nothing but, there's a Coke machine and you're dying of thirst. Are you going to break into it? Or are you going to start looking for a quarter to buy a Coke? I mean, something dumb like that. Well, this is what these guys are doing. Now, these people that were, were telling this next, asking the next question, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so that was the catch there. They were just trying to trick Jesus. And so they said, okay, okay, okay. So, so suppose there's a, a man and he marries a wife and he dies and he doesn't have any children. So the, the law says that, that his brother, if he has a brother, his brother has to marry her and give her children to carry on the name. And, but what if he dies... And then, so the, the third brother marries him, and, uh, he, you know, he doesn't have any children, but he dies. And this goes on for seven brothers. You know what I have said? Somebody needs to investigate that woman. That's what I would have said. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus realizes that they are just trying to trick him. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus says, after they tell all this, so who in heaven, because they don't believe in the resurrection, so in, after the resurrection in heaven, whose wife will she be then? And Jesus goes, man, that's a brain twister, isn't it? No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus says in verse 24, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry or be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. They 
he got out of the, he got out of that one, and they were going. <sighs> so there was a guy standing there listening, and this is the guy I want to center in on and focus on. So there was a guy standing there, and he was listening. And I'm going to pick it up here in, um, in verse uh, 28. It says, one of the teachers of the religious law, standing there listening to Jesus, listening to the debate, he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, I believe his heart was sincere. I think he recognized that Jesus had some great insight. He understood things. And it says that... Uh, uh, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God and the only and only Lord. And you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. And he says, you've answered well. Uh, you've spoken the truth, saying that there's only one God. Why did he point that out? Because in the Jewish, in, in the, the Jews would pray several times, but in the morning prayer and in the evening prayer, they prayed what they called, I don't know if I'll say it right, but the Shama, something like that, Shama, whatever it is. And that was the thing, the Lord our God is one God. That's what they would say. They would declare that the Lord our God is one God. So Jesus takes that and he puts that out front. The Lord our God is one God. And so, and then he says, this is the most important uh, Commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He got some common ground with them. Oh, yeah, he know, he understands. He understands. He's not leaving this out. And so he says, love the, uh, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And Jesus tells him, uh, he realized how much the man understood, and he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, everybody kind of left because they were afraid to ask him any more questions. Now, today... Uh, I think just taking that verse, the most important commandment, it really points to worship. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's how God wants us to, what is the worship? What is worship that pleases God? It's the kind of worship that is all involved. Is it easy? I don't know that I'd say it's easy or hard, but it's definitely focused. It's definitely a lot of pushing back, and I think that was where my heart was even in the early part of service, to come in and to, to worship when you're thinking about this and you're thinking about that and, and you're thinking about that. It's hard to push things away sometimes and to focus and, and to God, I give you honor and whatever that looks like because it's not about being in this place. It's about us responding to a God, you can do it in your home. You can do it in your car. You can do it in a hotel room if you're, you know, and some people say, well, I'm going to be away. I won't be able to. Yes, you can. Man, you can do it on an airplane. You can do any, any time, anywhere. Worship is a response to what we know about God. And so here's, the, I think, the bottom line of all this is that God wants all of us. He doesn't just want a token representation of our mind, a token representation of our heart a token representation of our strength. He doesn't want just a token, just kind of like a part of it. He wants all of us. And when he has all of us, let me tell you what happens. Life goes well. Life changes. It gets sweeter. Things begin to work out better. Pastor Joe's talking this morning about, you know, the, about giving, and it's like when I give God my all, 
He opens doors and he makes things come into my life. And here's the thing. I don't worship him so that he'll bring things into my life. That's a byproduct. I worship him because he's God. And when we actually understand that, when we can get a grasp on that, that nothing else, nothing is more important than God. Nothing. Well, other than my job and, you know, I mean, you got to, and other than my, you know, my mortgage payment. Well, and other than, no. Nothing. Other than my wife. Sorry. I remember when Dana and I got married, she, we, we talked about a lot of different things. And, and I remember, um, I, I don't even remember how the conversation went. I don't even know. But I just remember we had it because she's made mention of it before to other people. And it, the thing was this. I love God more than I love her. Oh, my gosh. Hope she doesn't hear that. <laughs> because I love God, because I put God before her, I can love her better than I ever, ever imagined. I love God more than I love my kids. That's what God wants from us, that he is first. He is priority. And worship is when we put God at that first place, all the things, all the mountains standing in our way that we can't get past seem to come down or they move out of the way or they just disappear. So, And it's not like, okay, well, I'm going to do a better job tomorrow. No, this is a lifetime. This is a way of life. Worship is a way of life. It's not just something we do because we've got a problem. And so we've got to, we're going to have to, look, I'm going to get on my knees. I haven't been on my knees in a long time. God, watch this. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's what we do. It's a lifestyle. Worship that pleases God. Let me hit a couple of things here. Let me just look at a few things. And, uh, and listen, this is such a deep, a diverse, such a, a broad, varied topic. Not varied as far as in understanding, but just in how much there is to understand. So let me just hit some, some brief basics. The first thing is, is the, worship, the worship that pleases God is worship that is accurate. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying so when we worship, we put our hands perfectly together, we're accurate, and we stand, and it's like we start at 9, 8, 7, 6, at the time, oh, God, I praise you. I'm not talking about that kind of accurate. I'm talking about accurate concerning what the Bible says about God. You know, I've heard people say this before, and uh, it's like people will say, well, I like to think of God as, and then they'll come up with something. I like to think of God as like he's just like, like a big old Santa Claus and he just loves everybody and he, he's always got a present and a gift for everybody. And, you know, I go to him and sometimes he'll just reach into that bag and give me a special gift. That's not what the Bible says. And God's not old, by the way, either. We think, well, God's old. God's not old because God doesn't live in time. We're old because we live in time. God lives in eternity. So he's not old because there's nobody counting eternity. Eternity just is. And we, that, boo, that blows our mind. We can't get it. God is not old. God is not young. God is just God. And, and so when we worship him, we need to understand. We need to do what we do with accuracy. Accuracy meaning in our understanding. Let's look at this verse here. Uh, this is actually, I just want to read the, uh, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Actually, it's just 23. It says, speaking to a woman at a well, and I'll tell you the early story on this in a second. Speaking to the woman at the well, uh, yet a time is coming, Jesus said, when, uh, and now has come, 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers he is seeking. Now, this was the story of the woman that goes to the well, and she was a Samaritan, and Jesus is there. The disciples had gone off to find food, and so Jesus goes to the well, and there's a woman pulling water or getting ready to draw water, and Jesus says, can you give me a drink? I think Jesus is asking us today, can you, can you give me a drink? To whatever that means. It might just mean, you know, acknowledge me. You know, give me something. And so Jesus says to this woman, can you give me a drink? And the woman says, well, how is it that, that you being a, a Jew and me being a Samaritan, you would ask me for a drink? And Jesus says, look, uh, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me for the living water. And now she's going, what are you talking about, you know? And not only is she a Samaritan, which the Samaritans were, were Jews who had intermarried with those that lived in the land, and they did, you know, bad, I don't know how long back it happened, but someone in their family disobeyed God and intermarried. Now, I'm not talking about racism. I'm just talking about the command of God. Don't marry these people. They worship other gods. That's what the Lord told them. Well, they, somebody did it. Long and short of it, God still loved the Samaritans. God still loves people today of every background, every group, every... But Jesus is there talking to this person, this woman, and she says, well, you know, give me this water. And he says, go call your husband. And, of course, the story goes on. She says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you've spoken well. You don't have a husband, but the man you're living with now is not your husband. But she'd been married many times before, and I don't think Jesus was saying that to put her down. I think he was saying that to say, I know you. I know who you are. I know about your life. But I still want to give you the living water. I just want you to know who I am. Worship is us knowing God and knowing everything that there is to know about him. That's, it's not just knowing about him. It's knowing him, knowing him intimately. And Jesus was inviting this woman in, but her idea was not accurate of how you get to God. Because she turns right around and she says, well, you know, our people, the Samaritans say you come to the mountains to pray, to worship. But the Jews, they worship in Jerusalem. So which one's right? And Jesus said, the day's coming. And I just read the verse. The day's coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship, the, worship God in spirit and in truth. So it's not, and I've told you before, sometimes I sit in, in a certain chair in the house and I pray and I drink coffee and I worship God and I read and other times I go out back and other times I get in my car. It's not about a specific place. It's about a responding to God. I know that God is an ever-present God. That's what this woman is saying, or Jesus is saying to this woman. Today, I'm telling you it's different what he's telling the woman. It's not a place you go to. It's a God that you allow into your life that you begin to respond to. God wants us to know, you don't have to come to this building. I'm glad you do, because we're supposed to gather to worship and to celebrate. But the thing is, is it's not like, well, I can't worship until next Sunday again. Oh, yeah, because God is near. He's near. And that's the part of being accurate. The kind of worship that, that pleases God is a, is a worship that's, that's accurate, it's that we know that God is he's here. And all I have to do is respond to him. And we'll talk about what worship looks like. I don't know if we get to that today, but we'll talk about what it looks like because worship is not necessarily a song. It's a response. It's a responding. And so 
Uh, here Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's more than just saying the right words. It's not just saying the right words. It's meaning what you say. And he was helping this woman to know, look, I know you have your traditions, and I know you, you think this and you believe that, but it's all different, and it begins today for you. It begins today for you, I believe, is what he was telling her. The Lord is looking, and now is, he says. The Lord is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And I know there's people who have the mentality that, well, I, you know, I know some people are called to the ministry of worship. Excuse me, there's no such thing as a ministry of worship. We worship because that's who we are. We're believers. It's responding to God. And the way you worship and the way I worship may look different, but it's how I respond to God. Like I said, this is so broad, this whole topic. It says in uh, Colossians 3.17, I don't have that on your paper, but I just wrote this down. Do everything you do as unto the Lord. That is worship. If you're a mechanic, if you work in law enforcement, if you work as a, as a bookkeeper, if you're a teacher, if you're a mom raising kids, change those poopy diapers as unto the Lord. And I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm just saying that we have a, a joy in our heart. God has given you the ability to do certain things. And when we, you do it as unto the Lord, you think Jesus didn't have poopy diapers when he was a baby? <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't talk about that, right? He was a baby. He was 100% man. And I guarantee you, when you do what it is you do, whether you are building something, whether you are uh, developing something, whether you're writing something, or whether you're standing on a platform singing, whether you're coming in and you're whatever, if we do it as unto the Lord, you know what that's called? Worship. That's called worship. And so don't think that, you well, I'm not a part of the worship ministry. You absolutely are. Because the worship ministry is actually what the body of Christ does. We worship God. But it's not for a specific few. It's for every person, everyone. The second thought here, let me hit this. The second thought is that worship that is authentic, it's real. That's the kind of worship that pleases God. I can stand here on the front row in service or whatever, even in my office. And I can think, oh, I need, I need to, I'm going to worship, I'm going to take time to worship God. And I can begin to worship God. And man, I can smell chili pepper from my desk oh my gosh Jesus I thank you for chili pepper or whatever it is you know I'm just saying it's just I get distracted I get distracted and so my words begin to oh God you're like a green chili burrito no I'm joking about that although let me tell you right now when I'm eating that I'm worshiping God I'm thanking God for the good things in life but but worship it's it's got to be authentic it can't be I'm worshiping, but in my mind, I'm actually paying bills. I'm, I'm making a list. I'm do, going down the to-do list. Because I can do that. I can stand there and lift my hands. Okay, I'm worshiping. Let me see here. I got to. Because I can do that. I can just say things. Man, doing this long enough. I can just do it. I can say things, but it's not authentic. Does God hate that? I don't think he hates it, but I think he goes, doesn't smell like sweet smelling incense to me it sounds like it smells like something else like nothing it needs to be authentic and so let me read uh, this is first samuel chapter 16 this is the story where where uh, samuel comes to to anoint David, finds the next king, the one that God is going to anoint, and he looks down, all the brothers, and he, he's not there, so he says, do you have another son? Yeah, I have uh, another one, but he's a little guy, go get him, he brings him in, he looks at him, and he says, this is the guy, 
David, and he pours the oil over David's head. But during that time, the Lord told Samuel, he said this. He said, uh, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. We look at the outside. You can look at me. If I could be standing here on the front row, and I'm just whatever, and i got tears running down my face, you don't know that I'm probably crying about the fact that I didn't get to do something I was supposed to get to do. You don't know, because you don't know my heart. I don't know your heart, but God knows my heart. And so the thing is, and it's not about me convincing you, it's about me being honest and integral with God. So the psalm says, the Lord does not look at the, the things uh, that people look at. It says, people look at the outward appearance. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's wonderful. And Maybe it is. I'm not, I don't mean to, to say everything we see is ingenuine, you know, disingenuous, but I'm just saying that we don't really know, but God knows. And so he goes on and he says, but God looks at the heart. But God looks at the heart. God looks at my heart. He looks at your heart, not just in church, every day, all day long. As we, he, he speaks to us, and he's looking to see if we're going to respond. He watches. It's not a test. He's not tempting us to fall. He's not tempting to trip us up. He wants us to respond to him. A response to God is worship. Just want you to know. Responding to God is worship. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts where God said, do this, so I'm going to do it. He says, don't do that, so I won't. A response is, God, thank you for ordering my steps, however you would say it. Doing what you do as unto the Lord. Lord, I believe you're opening a way. Whether you say that or not, you go forward knowing that God is with me. The enemy in the world will say, you know what, bad choice. Oh, that's a bad decision. The Lord is ordering my steps, and I do that, and I pull those thoughts down. I cast those thoughts down. There are a lot of forms of praising God in the Bible, lots of different forms. Let me just name a few. There's confessing. That's worshiping. Confessing. Confessing what? Confessing that there's no God but my God, that there's no God higher than our God. Confessing that he's the creator of all things, that he makes a way where there appears to be no way. That's a form of worship. It's singing. We've already talked about that. Shouting. Not shouting at each other, you know, mad. I mean, shouting his praises, you know, glory to God and how, whatever. When you, something great happens in your life and you're excited and you're saying, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. That's worship. There's, there's a standing in honor. You know, you ever, you ever felt like the Lord uh, just wants you to stand just quietly before him? And whether your hands are lifted or not, you just stand and you just yield to him. That's a form of worship. I'm not going to run out and go do this. I'm just going to stand here. Or I'm just going to sit here. Whatever it is, I'm going to stay here and I'm just going to allow you to speak to my heart. That's worship. I'm responding to you, God. And then there's, of course, testifying. There's praying. That's a form of worship. And then, of course, lifting hands. There's lots of things. Dancing before the Lord. But the best kind of worship and the most authentic kind of worship represents your love for God. Because if you're not a singer and you don't like to sing, then maybe your form of worship to God is way different than mine. Maybe it's, it's you confessing and declaring the goodness of God, confessing uh, the Psalms, speaking what we know about God, because you cannot worship a God you don't know. So as we get to know God and we begin to repeat back, we begin to declare. And I know this is basic, and it's like, you know, why do we got to go through this? 
This is a this is a, a, a life, this is a game changer. This is a life changer right here. Worship is a life changer. And because we can get so busy, I was thinking, I was sitting there this morning, and I'm thinking about the story of Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes to the house after he'd raised Jesus from after he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus shows up, and Martha automatically runs into the kitchen and she's whipping up whatever she's whipping up. And, and Mary goes in and she sits down at the feet of Jesus. And she's just soaking up the presence of God and enjoying him. And just, I don't know what she's doing but she's doing something that that was irritating the heck out of Martha because Martha's in there sweating and cooking and doing whatever she's doing and finally Martha comes in and she says Jesus would you please tell her to get up and get in here and help me I'm busy and all she's doing is sitting here at your feet doing nothing that's the attitude of worship that a lot of people have it's doing nothing but I want you to know that's not true that's not true What's true is what Jesus said, Martha, why are you so worried about so many things? She's chosen the better part, he says. She's chosen, and see, for some of us, like, well, she can have it. I don't want to do that. That's the thing that God's calling us to. And whether for you, it's setting at his feet, is, is driving in your car, lifting your, your voice, or, or worshiping him, singing, or sitting in your chair, or I don't know. It can be all kinds. Sitting, for me, it's a lot of different things. Playing the guitar and singing a song that I just wrote, just right this second. Just singing out of my heart, you know. It's, it can be just declaring what I know about God in a time when the enemy's pressing in. You worship God, and I believe it drives the devil back. It drives the enemies back. But I don't want to be Martha. And I don't want to be a Martha either in that sense. I want to be a Mary. I want to be the person. I want to be like her. That I'm going to set it. That was authentic. Jesus was like, yeah, Mary, you're just sitting here. You just don't want to go work. Jesus recognized the authenticity of her worship. She's chosen the best thing. To enjoy my presence while I'm here. Because you're not going to have me forever, Jesus says. But today, we have him. He's closer. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's, he's an ever-present God in a time of need. The third thing is that worship is, that's thoughtful pleases God. That's thoughtful. Not, not just kind of throwing out some, you know, random things that we just, I think I heard this before. Let me, well, I think, we don't even think. We just kind of say whatever. There was a, 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 I wrote it down there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus is talking about how the, 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 the heathen, the, the lost, how they pray, and they just pray vain repetitions, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, or whatever it is. Don't do that. I've done that. I've done that. But Jesus says it's meaningless. It's just throwing out things. I don't want it to be that way even with, with worship, where I just say things that I don't even have to think about. I want to think about what it is that who God is in my life and what he wants me to do. And so uh, thoughtful worship, there's another verse I didn't write. I just jotted it down here. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. Because when I begin to worship, like I said earlier, I can smell burritos and chili pepper. I can hear trains uh, going down the pass between Casa Grande and Tucson. I can hear things. I can hear airplanes flying over San Diego. You go, you can? Well, I think I can distractions. I can begin to think and remember things that I've forgotten. I'm going, wow, I just remembered that. This verse says that we are to pull down every thought and every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, 
what I, God wants to speak to me. He wants me to know so many more things than I already know. He wants me to know how to proceed through the day. He wants me to know his heart. He wants me to know his love in a deeper way. So God wants me to pull down, according to what the scripture says, pull down every thought, every imagination, and every high thing, because it will exalt itself and try to put itself in the place. But if we pull them down and we begin to worship and pray and call on the name of the Lord, let me tell you what happens. Clarity and peace and our lives become more uh, in touch. Let's just say that, for lack of a better word. We just become more intimate with God. It's hard to be intimate with someone. I can tell you now, when you're trying to talk to somebody, and I'm sitting there playing the guitar, and I got that glazed-over look in my eye, you can tell me anything in the world. Tell me anything you never want repeated. I won't even hear it. Because the thing is, my mind's a thousand miles away. But when I put that guitar down, I'm just using that as an analogy. For you, it might be your phone. For you, it might be TV. You try to talk to somebody watching TV. Forget it. Wait till the commercial's on. <laughs> you know? And then, hold on, I got to really get a drink. I want to talk. I think in prayer, you know, it's like we got to pull things down because they distract they distract. So worship that pleases God is a worship that is thoughtful. I'm thinking about with love the Lord your God with all your mind. That's what Jesus said. All your mind. With your thoughts. With your thoughts. And of course the last thought here is worship that is practical. That's the kind of worship that pleases God. Practical. Well, what does that mean? It means that it's something that you can do. Well, I would worship God, but I don't play the, 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 the big cello. If I could play the cello, I would work. Mm, no, no, I would worship if I could. No. Something practical. What do you do well? What do you do well? Because I think God's given you giftings. I think when I, I remember when I was a mechanic, and I, I remember hearing this analogy a long time ago, that basically what you have the ability to do, when Pastor Joe, when you, were a, when you were a veterinarian, when you were working as a veterinarian, and you were in there, and you were doing surgeries, and you were treating animals, and you know what? That was worship because God had created you to do that. I think moms that have babies. Moms that have babies, they think that this is like, this is the worst time in my life in some respects because I am so just, I mean, I'm locked down, I'm tied down. You're doing worship because God gave you the ability to create that baby, and now he's giving you the ability to raise that baby. That's worship. A bird that flies, and I heard all these analogies from, from Rick Warren. I was reading some stuff in his book, and he says the, a, a worship, the worship for an animal is it does what it's supposed to do. It sings, it chirps, it flies. Well, you know, what if a bird got up there and he just said, I'm just going to walk. But God created you to fly. Well, I know, but, I, you know, I don't, maybe I shouldn't be flying. Worship is we do what it is that God's given us the ability to do. For some, it's singing. For some, it's building. For some, it's teaching. For some, it's, I don't know. There's so many different things. But we do what we do as unto the Lord and that, I believe, is worship. I believe there's an aspect of worship that we do get on our knees. We get on our face. We sit and we lift our hands and we honor and we pull everything down. But I also think we're supposed to worship. Our life is supposed to be worship. And I love this verse, Romans 12, verse 1. This is the New Living Translation. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be let your body, let, your, let them be a living and holy sacrifice and uh, the kind he will find acceptable. This truly is the way to worship him. 
Doing what? Giving your body, your life. Okay, I'm going to lay my life on the altar. You just going to lay there? He didn't say give your spirit as a sacrifice of worship. He said give your body. Give your body as a, as a sacrifice of worship. So what? So are they going to like drive a, a knife in my heart? No. We sacrifice ourselves and say, God, I'm going to put you first in everything I do. Because I'm a mechanic, I'm going to do what I do ethically. I'm going to do what I do to honor you. I'm going to honor people that I work for. Whatever it is, I'm just using that because that's what I did for a long time. I'm going to do what I do as unto the Lord. What would please God in this? I just think that it's got to be practical. It can't be something we only do on Sunday morning between 10 and 11 o'clock. It's what we do 168 hours a week. And I'll tell you now, when we worship God, you know what happens? He moves mountains. He changes our heart. He causes things to go right for us. He causes the enemy to be driven back. When we worship God, things change. Things change. Let's take a minute and let